Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Yeah, a little. Uh, why does the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, have its own dive team? What are USOs? Have new artifacts been found at the Roswell, New Mexico crash site? Hello, and welcome to the 816th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON 1240 AM. I'm Ben, and uh, 99.3 FM, I should add. 99.5 FM. 99.5. Jeez, I'm going backwards in time, I (laughs) suppose. I'm Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and dad, Paul. And today we tackle a subject with a new guest, and we welcome your calls. Uh, The number is 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at com or contact us by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Debbie Ziegelmeyer serves on the National Board of Directors of the Mutual UFO Network. She is also MUFON's Missouri State Director. I guess the folks there say Missouri, at least that's what I've been told, and a star team investigator. Debbie is co-founder of the MUFON Dive Team, an underwater UFO search and recovery instructor, and is certified by the Professional Association of Diving Instructors in just about every form of diving instruction known in this galaxy. She was a volunteer archaeologist on Sci-Fi's, uh, Sci-Fi Channel's Roswell Crash, Startling New Evidence in 2002, and on NBC's Sci-Fi Investigates, Roswell Revisited in June 2006. She teams up with her brother, Chuck Zukowski, on some of these projects and is well-known in the media. Currently, Debbie is working on MUFON investigations in Missouri and several independent investigations with Chuck, including recent animal mutilations and strange sounds heard worldwide. So, Debbie, welcome, or Debbie Ziegelmeyer, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. So much for having me. I, I appreciate it. Wow, sounds like I'm really busy. I'm surprised I'm here. <laughs> yeah, well, Ben, I'm not sure we need to ask Debbie any questions. You can just talk about that bio. Well, nevertheless, Father, uh, I guess we can we can start off with something something simple. Why does the Mutual UFO Network have its own dive team? You know, uh, I, well, I started this back in 2003. At that point, we didn't have a lot of water-related sightings turned into us. But one in five uh, sightings reported to MUFON do involve water. Seventy percent of the Earth is water. And surprisingly, lately, a lot of what I'm investigating, especially in Missouri, is involving water. Uh, And there was nobody investigating water. You know, you've got 70 percent of the Earth. You've got NOAA reported that only five percent of our waterways have even been investigated. So it's a perfect hiding place. Nobody's looking there. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I well, yeah, I, I bow to your superior knowledge of that subject, but uh, it seems as though certain areas are very active underwater. But you're right. I mean, uh, most are not, especially in the very deep areas. Oh, you'd be surprised. Um, and how do we know? Um, like submarines, I, I believe, uh, collapsible collapsible depth is about 2,400 feet. They usually travel about 1,600. You know, nobody is down there. Nothing is down there. There's fish down there we haven't even discovered yet. But more of what I'm looking at, uh, the oceans are so deep. We, you know, obviously, as a scuba diver, uh, recreational, I don't go below 130. Then even with equipment, it's it's hard to detect anything. Um, some of these objects that are being seen by submarines are called fast movers, and they're moving by so far. We were going to ask you so about fast. that, yeah. Yeah, our government doesn't even know what they are. But 
right now in Missouri um, are are rivers. We have incredible sightings um, in and around the uh, uh, Merrimack River. I'm investigating some things right now in the Mississippi, coming in and out of the Mississippi River. Uh, then we've got uh, Truman Lake in New York. Uh, I just investigated um, a sighting that a gentleman had off of Lake Superior, something that was glowing, that was hovering over Lake Superior, and a cargo sh- cargo ship went underneath. And he's got <laughs> his his uh, video of that on YouTube. It's also a MUFON case. And then I got another report a couple weeks ago of something that went into the water in Montana. I believe it was Montana. Right now, most of what I'm investigating involves things in and around water. <coughs> Excuse me. I was going to ask that. Uh, do you um, have the capability, you uh, being the dive team I'm referring to, uh, to go to all these places and to actually dive? I mean, how, how many of the reports you mentioned, uh, Debbie, how many can be investigated by the dive team and uh, what percentage would you say uh, result in a um, an underwater investigation? Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's the million dollar question, literally. Um, yeah. The, the the problem with what's you know let's say going in and around Lake Superior, what's coming in and out of Solomon Islands, um, what's also Bermuda Triangle, that type of thing. All we can do is investigate why they're in and around the area because it's so deep. We don't have the capabilities to go down there. Uh, we try and make comparisons with what we know is already underwater. You know, our, our submarine capabilities are um, tracking where best we can, where our, our underwater bases are, our Navy, uh, Russia's other countries' bases, submarine bases, that type of thing. But as far as lakes, uh, what I'm investigating in, uh, say, clear off the Merrimack, that's something that's really um, it's shallow. I mean, the, the, what we were seeing was coming in and out of 15, 20 foot waters, balls of light. Um, uh, what we we do have um, a couple other places where there was crack. Well, we had you know, one in particular is um, a Clearwater Lake here in Missouri. We were going to go out last weekend, and then it got we, we were halfway there, and it got overcast, and we came back. But there's balls of light coming in and out of that lake. Now, that would be diveable to take a look at. Most of the other ones, um, we can't get permission to get in. It's private property. People don't don't want the notoriety. But we're going wherever best we can. Uh, what I recently discovered was something with the Bermuda Triangle that I thought was really fascinating. I've been on a cruise that went over by the Panama Canal um, uh, at Cartagena, there were some beaches out in that area, uh, down in that peninsula area, that had black sand. And I thought, oh, this is interesting, and I, I gathered some up and brought it home. Our assistant state director, our Missouri Move on assistant state director, Margie Kay, came out a couple of weeks ago and was visiting, and she said, oh, I heard this story about where they think a lot of, the, of what's causing the Bermuda Triangle is this black sand goes down thousands of feet and it's magnetic. And I said, I got some sand here, and you know, we spread it out on the plate. I have a big magnet. This thing, this sand attached to that magnet like an etch a sketch. Really? Absolutely. It amazed me. I gathered the sand because it was black and it was unique. I, I had it for five years. I never thought to run a magnet across it. So I, that's one more little piece of information that we found out that, yes, indeed, that black sand is magnetic. 
okay. So, <laughs> how many people are are involved in the dive team, and how much area can you actually cover? Because there's there's a lot that's sort of unknown, and there's all sorts of cases that are reported, especially of USOs and all sorts of stuff like that. But there's not there's not a, a it seems like they're very few, like very spread out, very far out. How much ground can you actually cover, and how many people are involved? Oh, we can cover as much ground as we need. Uh, the one thing about divers is they always love a challenge. And um, what I found out, well, I, I used to have a big list, and the problem with the list it has to be renewed yearly because MUFON members come and go. Uh, we have we have probably about 10 people in various parts of the country that are with MUFON that are willing to dive at any, you know, on a moment's notice with the gear. Um, what, what, what the problem with, with the originally was with the MUFON members coming and going, it ended up being more of a star team investigation. You know, we had people that could financially get there who had the equipment, who had the experience, and we've always had about a steady 10 of them. But um, I, my son-in-law and my daughter are, are both uh, not only scuba divers, um, my uh, son-in-law is uh, I'm partnered with him as an instructor, but I found out that firefighters love to love a challenge, love to scuba dive. And anything that we have in the area, I can very easily call the fire department in that area, take my firefighter son-in-law with me and my son, who's also uh, a, a, a scuba diver, and people are, are move on divers in that area and get the fire department involved. And we've got some great volunteers, and they've got fantastic equipment. They know the area. So uh, that's kind of what we've been doing. It, it's We've checked out a few areas at this point. We haven't found anything, you know, that's really, you know, anything really in particular in the sand. We also have, um, Missouri Newfound also has our own lab here, so if I do find anything, uh, we can get it analyzed. And the lab, by the way, is open to all state directors in the United States if, if they need to have anything investigated, um, anything analyzed. Okay, uh, you must know Ted Phillips, who is a fellow Missourian and uh, oh. certainly a uh, a giant in the field. Uh, Ted's specialty has been collecting for for literally for many decades information about uh, physical traces of UFO landings. And he, uh, the last time he was on the show, he pointed out something that we'd like to ask you about, and that's that when he first began, uh, UFOs seemed to be more nuts and bolts craft and people assume they were from other planets but in a recent uh, well I guess over the recent uh, 10 to 20 years it's become they become uh, seem to have become more ethereal in the sense of, of light balls or balls of light and he's investigated a lot of these things in uh, Marley Woods which is a secret location somewhere in, in your state um, do you agree with that and uh, uh, what do you think these balls of light coming out of the water or whatever they are what do you think these really are? I, yeah, are I they necessarily craft from other planets? I think it depends on the area. I, I worked with Ted for two years at Marley Woods. Mm-hmm. The uh, balls of light, I recall them a couple different times, and it seemed like it came out, it would rise up, come out for a couple minutes and go back. I don't know if this is something. Oh, we looked through the woods. We couldn't figure out any rhyme or reason behind it, whether or not, in that case, it's something that is maybe coming, I don't know, interdimensionally, maybe. Um, 
that um, is taking data. It would seem to me that if you have something that appears periodically in the same area, that it would be collecting data. I mean, that, that's just my opinion. But now some of these balls of light that are coming in and out of the water, maybe they're gathering samples. I don't think you necessarily need to take a craft with the technology that um, these other worldly beings have. You don't necessarily have to take a craft to collect evidence, data, whatever you need. And maybe that's what they're using it for. We don't go out as much as we used to anymore. Our military, we use drones. Maybe it's their form of some kind of a drone that's coming, maybe going into the water, gathering uh, water samples, maybe gathering hydrogen. Hydrogen is a good fuel source. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, it, it's all speculation, but it seems like these balls of light are appearing in different places for different reasons. And I, I, you know, I don't think they necessarily all, all have to be the same reason. Okay. Now... Ben has some questions here from uh, one of our very faithful listeners in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, Ben, I, I, maybe the first one has been answered already, but yeah, I, I believe I believe so. But hey, you know, maybe there's something something we we don't know. Um, so our our sort of unofficial guest co-host Peter uh, writes to us. Um, has Mufon uh, Mufon's obviously done, the first question you already answered, which was which is why we have you on in the first place. Which uh, has Mufon done any aquatic investigations? Which the answer is yes. <laughs> if so, what are the most interesting cases? Um, well, certainly that the one you mentioned with the uh, sand was pretty amazing. Oh yeah, that that's something I need to check into more. Uh, I know where my next cruise is going to be. It's going to it's going to be heading toward 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 uh, Panama, Colombia. Uh, the, the countries in that area, whatever, wherever the cruise ship stops. Um, I'd, I'd like to go and investigate Lake Michigan, Lake Superior. Those lakes, they're, they're untouched and they're diveable. I know that at 40 foot deep in um, Lake Michigan, there's uh, what looks like a stone hedge. Hmm. Uh, that that was found, uh, um, I can't remember all of the names. I think the last one was that. Um, Albi, uh, but you know, I, I have a presentation on that. Where there, there's some uh, archaeologists that have found that type of thing. I'd like to investigate the, the uh, Great Lakes a, a little bit more because there's also a Great Lakes and Lake Michigan Triangle where there's some things going on. Okay. Um, but um, most interesting water case is going on right now. Uh, I've got. A witness who had, who saw some balls of light that he believes may have even followed him home, and this is in the O'Fallon, Missouri area, about an hour north of me, which is also correlating with a case that we worked just before that because it was the beginning of August, and he believes that's when he saw it, but he just reported it not too long ago, uh, with the balls of light that are uh, over the, Mer the Mississippi River there which are also the same type of things that I'm, I'm looking at that are in and around the area in St. Clair. Uh, that was one of the episodes that was on uh, Alien Highway with my brother Chad Zutowski. They, they went to St. Clair for four days. Um, it's the same type of thing. I've got some phenomenal video from St. Clair. I also got some from around the Mississippi River and the other cases. But right now is some of the most interesting thing because I, I got this new little video camera is uh, um, an Aurora, uh, um, mm. um, a, a little Aurora um, Omni uh, a, a camera, video camera, that it's not, it's, it's not infrared, it's military-grade night vision. And I put this thing in a tripod and just caught some unbelievable balls of light 
in and around the water and over these rivers and and then you know I thought at first it was camera effect I couldn't believe what I was catching and then I I used it the next day and it was nothing uh, I caught things from my deck because my house is maybe two miles from the Mississippi River I can't see the river but I can see you know anything over over the river you know traffic and that type of thing so right now is some of the most interesting investigation because of the camera and the new technology I have. Oh, interesting. How often? Oh, go ahead, Bev. <coughs> oh, uh, well, this this kind of c- coincides with Peter's next question, which uh, you already sort of touched on a little bit, uh, but he wants wants a little bit, little bit more detail by asking. Uh, speaking of underwater UFOs, what is uh, happening in the Bermuda Triangle or the Solomon Islands? Any interesting recent activity? Um, Bermuda Triangle. Uh, yes, uh, I did a, a, a presentation that I was a speaker on the roof on cruise, and I was surprised how many sightings were coming from cruise ships. You know, so your Bermuda to the New York Triangle, of course, is, I believe it's uh, uh, Puerto Rico to Bermuda down to Miami. Uh, cruise ships coming in and out there, people are seeing things at sunset. Um, as they're leaving the dock to go, you know, to the next, uh, next island or the next country that they're going to, there is, there's a lot of activity, more than I would have managed, imagined things coming in and out of the water. Um, so, yes, I mean, and it's gone back. I found pictures back into the 40s where there's, there's been activity there. So, yes, Bermuda, whether or not, I, I was wondering whether there were um, underwater bases of some type. And I'm almost beginning to believe that um, what's there may not as easily found as you would think. I think they're very well hidden with, with you know, openings where, you know, they've got some technology where they can open up a mountainside and go in and close it up behind them, and we're not going to find it. We're not going to even search around underwater, but it's pretty well hid, unless you're in the right place, right time. That leads into something that I, I found out in 1984. Now, that goes back a ways, but in Puerto Rico... I was there in the line of duty, and I, I would always kind of moonlight by <laughs> carrying on paranormal investigations when I could, uh, sometimes uh, to the amusement of my uh, uh, executive officer of my ship, uh, whom I would ask uh, to borrow the uh, photographic equipment from the ship. And I goes, today I'd probably end up, who knows what, court-martialed or something, but, but then uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody cared. Um, but I talked to a member of the Puerto Rican legislature at the time, who described a uh, craft. He and his family were having a cookout or something. It was some holiday in the summer, and, and his uh, ho- house overlooked the um, Mona Passage. And he said there was a, cr- a disc-shaped light that came out of the water. Everybody saw it. And it just um, hung there for a minute, and then, and then z- you know, zinging off into the uh, sky without any uh, noise or certainly at great speed. Uh, I found that very interesting, but rather typical of that area. And and there is supposedly, and maybe you can verify this if you know about, a ship, a U.S. Navy vessel, uh, that is on station there to observe this sort of thing. Now, I, And I did see uh, Spruance class destroyer on station off San Juan. Now, whether that was what it was doing, I mean, I, I asked about what they were, and usually, you know, you, if you're another... 
U.S. vessel, you know, you're aware of the presence of, of another vessel in the area, and, and uh, it's usually you're very often working together. But I couldn't find out one whisper about what this ship was doing there. So uh, do you ha- have you investigated cases in Puerto Rico, and, and are you aware of this, uh, this ship on station? Fort Leonard Wood Army Training Base, 
which is, I guess, about maybe two hours from here. They train, I, I think they train everybody, uh, the military, or the Army in Puerto Rico. My nephews from California and Colorado trained here in Missouri. So we do have a lot of military present. Uh, we've had sightings where I found out that uh, the witnesses actually were all um, former military, and pretty much that whole neighborhood was former military. Uh, so witnesses, yes, about... Oh, I don't know. They'd actually admit it. You know, probably one in ten are people that were involved in the military, the witnesses, and they're willing to come forward. But as far as getting military to come actually to me and say, yeah, this is what I've got, I, I really don't experience, you know, I don't experience that. That's When you have somebody that, that that's some type of disclosure, they usually call Jan Harzan at Rupon headquarters mm, yeah, and, and, and go with him directly. Yeah. Uh, here's a, I guess in a way, kind of a jocular question, Debbie. Uh, the notion of salvage rights. Uh, there are all kinds of international law and different national laws on this. Suppose you were to find, and, I, and I'm thinking of Shag Harbor mm. in Nova Scotia in the 60s, and we had relatives uh, who were witnesses to that uh, up there because uh, we have a lot of family there. But... Um, had they been a, and supposedly they did locate a craft of some kind on the bottom of uh, whether it be the Bay of Fundy. Oh, or, did they? Uh, well, the, the supposedly. Supposedly. That's yeah. third hand <laughs> military scuttlebutt. Okay. Mm. And uh, were, you, were you to locate su- such a thing? Who would have the salvage rights to that? I mean, the government would, would step in pretty quickly, uh, particularly if it was um, uh, a government project or, or extraterrestrial or what have you. Mm. Uh, have, have you ever considered that? And uh, I don't know. I just. Uh, the scenario just sort of fascinates me. Uh, yes, because uh, being a diver, we had a condo on the floor of the Keys for 12 years, and I know what Mel Fisher had to go to. They spent years, he even lost his son and daughter-in-law when the ship sunk, trying to bring up the Atosha, I mean, trying, trying to find the, the, uh, the treasure from the Atosha and some of these other uh, fleet of ships from, from the 1600s. Mm-hmm. And it came down to that. They found treasure, and um, I think Italy wanted some, Spain wanted some, Florida wanted some. There was a fight to see who actually owned this. So salvage rights, yeah, that gets really sketchy. As far as um, a UFO underwater, you know, seriously, we're monitored. The government knows absolutely everything that MUFON does. I have no doubt about that. If we found the craft underwater and would be a monitor, it would be a race to see who got there first and if we were already there, I'm sure somebody would show up and there would be some type of an issue. Um, yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm a volunteer and this is what I tell all of my investigators. We are volunteers. We do this on our own. If it comes to a fight between us and our government, the government runs hands down. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you found something um, you you know, you document it, you try and, and get along as well as you can with government agents, but if they say, leave, leave, um, this isn't worth, uh, this isn't worth being accused of treason, this isn't worth your life, uh, you know, we're volunteers. Okay. Uh, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break now. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's really, really pretty Blackstone Valley. And we have our wonderful guest, Debbie Ziegelmeyer from the Mutual UFO Network, and we'll be right back, so stick with us. This is Manny Brando. 
Vote for Manny. I will take the winner out for dinner. You know that I'm right, so vote for Manny. 766-3499. Get down to brass tacks at home with me, Bob Vila, and my tip of the day every day right here. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day can only be heard on ON AM and FM every weekday at 6.50 in the morning. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day is brought to you by Cumberland Kitchen and Bath Design Center. Bob Vila's Home Improvement Tip of the Day on ON Radio. Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. It's WON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM. And we're talking today about some very unusual subjects when it comes to UFOs, diving for UFOs, uh, underwater like, work in the UFO investigation. Like with, bobbing uh, for apples, but much more dangerous. Uh, I would think so. And uh, there's nobody better to talk to on that subject than our guest, uh, Debbie Ziegelmeyer from the Mutual UFO Network. And uh, it's it's really a fascinating discussion so far. So we've talked about the military and uh, this uh, sort of thing. And... Uh, Debbie, uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, certainly Mark D'Antonio, who was mm-hmm. one of our special guest co-hosts on the show, and he's one of our crazy gang that goes out um, ch- checking out some a lot of weird stuff. And he uh, does a lot of uh, secret work for the Navy, and he was did. aboard it. Did. Did. No longer. He got rid of his clearance, remember? Uh, well, well, that's right. I hope he didn't lose it because of us. But No, no, no. <laughs> I guess I, the way he explained it to me was... If you have a certain top secret clearance you, and you're a civilian, you have to renew it, and you have to sign a bunch the, of documents to yeah, renew that's it. That's right. And he, just de- de- he yeah. decided two years yeah. ago to just not renew it. So yeah, it's, like, it can yeah. it can be difficult. I, mean, I had a clearance too, but it wasn't as high as his. But it was still you, you're still bound by all the uh, the rules. But in any case, uh, Debbie, he, he was talking about being aboard a nuclear submarine at one point, and the. I guess it was the uh, CIC or the, or the radar operator, or sonar or whatever, sonar operator, was saying something about a fast mover. Right. And the captain was uh, taken up with that, and, and uh, he couldn't tell Mark what it was about. And Mark, anyway, it's a long story, but Mark will tell you if anybody asks him. So have I you have heard of that, and what does it mean? Oh, I absolutely, and Mark and I are good friends. Uh, in fact, I just, I think I emailed him yesterday or day before yesterday. Um, that's the interesting question because uh, not only has Mark seen something that's unexplainable, fast mover, he was looking at sonar, he went down there and apparently... Yeah, crazy speeds. Yeah, well, yeah, and apparently he gets sick on a submarine, the place to go with sonar, uh, he gets seasick, and I, I've spoken to somebody else who has also been on a nuclear sub and told me pretty much the same story. Um, it was something came by the sonar screen, just at a tremendous speed across the screen. I mean, of course, it wasn't a mammal, it wasn't any... You know, it wasn't a missile. I mean, from the size of it, uh, this came across. He asked the uh, the sonar operator, asked the XO, you know, what do you want me to do about this? And he said, water and stow it. And then, you know, Bark had said, well, you know, I'm an investigator. You know, I'll, I'll take care of this. I'll investigate this for you if you want. And, and uh, the XO looked at him and said, Bark, you like being on our boat? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He goes, do you want to stay? Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. But Mark told me that a couple of years after that, he was at a, a party, and there happened to be an admiral there, and he went up to the admiral, and he right. said, Admiral, um, he said, so what can you tell me about this fast mover project? And he said, Mark, you know, I can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. So there, there's obviously, there there are reports of fast movers. And what um, um, Bless His Heart, Carl Feint, 
Uh, he and I have become good friends, and he passed away recently. He was a, a water expert. He researched underwater sightings for years. And I like to call him UFOs because, I mean, it, it, it's a USO if it's maybe a fast mover, but, you know, a UFO is a, you know, an identified object is unidentified, and it can be in the air, and then when it enters the water, I don't think the name of it should change because they're coming in and out of the water. But Carl investigated these for years, and he said that he believed that that magnetic, that, that field, that electromagnetic field that we've all heard about, um, is the reason why these crafts can come in and out of our atmosphere without burning up, without a sonic boom, and in and out of the water without crashing. You take a plane, any kind of a plane, and you hit the water, it's not a good experience. But yeah, these right. crafts coming in and out of the water, the one that the Navy was following that's been all you know, all over the news for the last couple of years, that was that object um, was going in and out of the water just with ease. And he believed that this electromagnetic field that's around them, is they're not ever touching the craft that this field is protecting them. And this is why they're able to move at such a high rate of speed. Um, my thought was that since you had, and I've researched this probably since 2016, that since you have this electromagnetic field and you have these crafts coming in in the water, I started researching whether or not they were, used, they, were, they were harvesting the hydrogen from our water to keep this electromagnetic field intact. You know, it's got to deplenish at some point, and I looked through the NASA website and found out that's how we replenish our fuel cells, we use hydrogen. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, you've got H2O, you know, at that two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, you've got this in the water, I thought, why not? Why aren't they going to, you know, use our hydrogen? So maybe that's another reason it's a good hiding place. Maybe they're replenishing their hydrogen. But I believe it has something to do with that, that, that field that's around them. Just, I agree with Paul. Okay. Uh, let's dry ourselves off and move uh, into New Mexico in the middle of the land and, and talk about Roswell. Now, you were involved in some uh, further research at the Roswell crash site. And of course, if anybody doesn't know, Roswell, uh, 1947, July 1947, something crashed. Uh, the general belief is that, among most people anyway, is that it was a craft from elsewhere or else when. And also it's a body, there were some bodies recovered, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, you, have, uh, you have been involved in some ongoing research at that site, uh, even in recent years. Can you tell us about that and uh, what's, what's been found that's of interest? Yeah, have there been any sort of new discoveries? <laughs> wow, how much time have you got? Um, in 2002, my brother and I, um, we talked them into staying and letting us stay an extra day, and we did a strip, uh, a, a strip dig came across a silver metallic piece that was, I don't know, maybe a small triangle piece. Eventually, we had it, we were able to get it analyzed. It was very, very, very pure silver with a little bit of silicon. Um, so there was something silver metallic found in 2002. The problem with where the skip site was, that's known as the skip site, is that it's BLM property. So anything that you take out of there belongs to the Bureau of Land Management of New Mexico. So we, we go back every year and we, we'll, we'll take a look at the site and see the, the runoff from um, the hillside, the water, and try and figure out where there could be new places where things are hid. Um, interesting enough, we went back in 2016, we were back there speaking, 
and we decided that rather than go to the alien ball, we would go and head out to, um, toward uh, toward the sites. And we went in the other direction. We went out more towards what they call the Ragsdale site, oh, about 35, 40 minutes outside of town. Uh, we were there just right around 9 o'clock, which is just a little after dusk at that time of year. And my brother had these LED lights in the front of his truck, and he goes, oh, I want to show you these. i got a remote control. Hit this remote control, it was like a flash, 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 pause, flash. And about 60 degrees up in the sky, about the size of an aspirin, something flashed back at us twice, two flashes. We thought, what is that? And um, he hit the remote control again. This this flashed at the same place, not moving, not wavering, not a cloud in the sky, nothing but the Milky Way. This thing flat, whatever it was, was low altitude. We're thinking maybe 1,000 foot or so. Um, flashed at us twice. I mean, this happened three consecutive times. Uh, we, you know, after that, you know, we left. We we heard some strange noises, and it's kind of a long story. We decided to finally leave, looking to see if we were being followed, and you know, went back where we were staying. When we looked back the following year, in 2017, for the 70th anniversary of Roswell, decided to go out to the same place, bend down this road, I, 30 times, probably. We know our way around. Headed out of town, just past Walmart. I think it's 264 or 265 highway, um, made a right-hand turn the main highway, then it comes to a fork, you make a right, and go out toward the site. And so there we are on this two-lane highway, we, make, we come out of there, make our right, and this is a, we were running a little late, we wanted to get out to about 9 o'clock about the same time it happened, but we were being interviewed um, by, um, well, we were actually having dinner with uh, people from the Roswell Daily Record, so we didn't get out, get going till about 10, 10.30 made our right hand turn at the fork, and the road just turned to one lane, no lines, and dead ended. We're like, did we take a turn? And so we looked at each other, and he goes, okay, we're already running late. We turned around, maybe you turned out back on the road, went maybe the length of two football fields, and once again, the highway turned into single lane and then dirt. And we thought, okay, what happened here? And so we looked at um, his... Uh, his navigation system on his truck, and he's got a big Ram truck with all the bells and whistles, and it couldn't locate us. We looked at our cell phones, it said no service. So uh, we made another U-turn and went back around, went about the length of two football fields, and the road quit again. And we thought, okay, yeah, what's happening? We don't know what's going on here. Uh, so we got, he said, well, get, get my GPS, my handheld, and it was dead. So I said, okay, let's turn around one more time and go really, really, really slow. And we did. And this, this whole process maybe took 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then, sure enough, there it was. We saw the, you know, we are coming up because we'd gone back and forth, back and forth. And naturally, we were in the head of the direction where we should be back at Roswell. We saw Walmart to the right, went up the highway, made a U-turn and slowly made our right-hand turn again and headed out toward where we wanted to be, about 30, 35 minutes outside of town. And when we got there, um, he said, well, what time is it? It was 1.30 in the morning. Um, it should have been, with, even with the time, with being lost, it couldn't have been more, shouldn't have been more than 11.30, midnight, mm-hmm. really stretching it. It was 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. So... And uh, it was that's some of the odd stuff that still happens at Roswell. Uh, we waited till about two thirty. Nothing happened. Turned around, and surprisingly, never talked about it. We were more mad that we had missed our window, and didn't even. So we got about halfway home, and I go, "Do you realize what happened last night?" We just. I mean, it was the strangest 
strangest thing that's ever happened to me. So, yes, there's still something going on there. Yeah, indeed. Hmm. One of the most fascinating subjects we've covered on the show over the years is uh, our uh, sky sounds, as they're called. Uh, And uh, I I believe you are doing some research in that field right now. Uh, I heard something. This was uh, August 5th, 2011. I remember because in Missouri we had a UFO flap in 2011. Uh, My husband and I were sleeping. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, and we heard this bang, 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 bang. And we thought, what? He thought it was the new um, jacuzzi that we had just put put out, you know, in our yard two weeks earlier, so he ran down the stairs and out the back, and I went out on the deck to overlook this jacuzzi, and it wasn't a jacuzzi, it was coming from the sky, and just at, he said, what is this, and just as he came to the deck listening, it was bang, 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 it turned into the sound that, like, from a War of the Worlds, kind of the, whoa, 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 and, it, and we thought, oh, okay, what's that, so I grabbed my tape recorder, and just as I grabbed it, it went to kind of like an underwater bubbling sound, kind of boom, 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 And it, this went on, I got two and a half minutes tape of it, and then it just, just dead stopped. Uh, all the neighbors were up and out. Uh, the time my son and, and his family lived next door, everybody in the neighborhood, all the lights were on, try, looking up at the sky. And I said, I'm going to take off in my Jeep. And, and my husband said, where are you going to go? It's up in the sky. What are you going to look for? Uh, I went, I called um, dispatch. 911 dispatch, they were flooded. The next morning, I know a police officer, and he gave me a direct number, and the gal said, they told me to tell everybody that it was the MSD, um, the sewer plant, up the road had a turbine that malfunctioned. Well, this was six miles by, as the crow flies. Uh, I contacted them. I, I contacted people in the area. Nobody heard anything, and 911 dispatch said that the sound was only heard within a quarter mile of my house. Amazing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to bounce this off, Debbie, too, Ben. Uh, the tone from May. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. real, real quick. Um, was it was it a was it a lower frequency that you heard? Did it sound more metallic? Um, were there were there any sort of higher pitches in there? Yeah. Though this was in August. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, August 2011. But it, um, it was metallic. It was definite, kind of like a. Oh, gosh, like a, at first a banging, you know, like uh, it was just hard and hard to like somewhat like a hammer that was a loud hammer. That, my husband's deaf in one ear, and it woke him up, and he was running circles, and what, what's that sound? It was uh, loud enough to wake both of us up and the whole neighborhood. Um, and then after that, it was almost, uh, it did, it was all metallic. It, it just, yeah, it was, it was odd. Uh, and then I did some research on it and found the exact same sound in Canada and several other places, but around the same time it, it was heard in Canada during the day by some lumberjacks. And it was the exact same sound because I got Audacity software and, and I did the comparison of the two. So I, I don't know what that was. It was about, so maybe seemed like it was coming from 60, 70 degrees in the sky. The sky was kind of overcast a little bit, just barely, you know, like, you know, it's August, so it was muggy here in Missouri, and so it wasn't crystal clear. You could see some stars, but I, I still, to this day, I don't know what that was. That's interesting that you, that you mentioned that it was... I'm really glad you mentioned the temperature and what the weather was like, because that's actually incredibly important when it comes to sound and how it travels. 
So the lowest sound that a human can hear, which is about 20 hertz, and that's if your hearing's like perfect, moves at approximately 100 or 1,300 feet per second, and it, it's it, it tends to move through objects. So like uh, like how the the Navy sort of made like sonic weapons or whatever that would that would shoot underwater. Essentially, the the thicker the substance would be, uh, the faster the sound and the farther the sound would travel through it, depending on the frequency and how thick the object is and how it reacts to the frequency wave passing through it. So if a wind turbine was causing, or a turbine, a malfunctioning turbine was causing that, A, a it would have to be incredibly loud, and B, it, you wouldn't have heard such a variation of tones, you know, six miles away. You know, you would have you would have had to have been within a mile and a half, maybe two miles of that facility, for you to hear anything. Maybe you know, it's like it's like uh, like a plane passing overhead, where it tra- where the sound travels slightly differently. But even then, you know, it's still that thirteen hundred feet is like is how fast it can travel. So if it's something that that rapid and that sort of dynamic in its range. And with that volume, it, it would have to travel. It would have to be really loud and travel very far distances very quickly. So it just it doesn't make any sense from a physics no. perspective. Um, no, 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 not at all. And I, I talked to people. I could see the plant, and their houses were across the street. And I was knocking on doors the next day, and nobody. They said, "Don't we didn't hear anything." Now, how can they be right there and not hear it? But we hear it six miles away. And like I said, that 911 dispatch, she said all the reports came in within a quarter mile of where I live. Yeah, which, exactly. You know, it, was, it, it didn't make any sense. And that, that also the fact that she said, they told me to tell you. I go, who told you to tell you that? And she said, just when I came in, she said, my, you know, my boss here said, you're going to get some calls. And they told me to, you know, tell you that this is what I heard. She said, I just came out at 6 o'clock in the morning, so I, I wasn't involved in all this. Makes sense. So there's a really interesting experience my father had um, in May of this year in our our Pennsylvania sort of research area, Pennsylvania flap that we've been researching for the last, what was it, four years-ish? Yes, brand new case. It's only about four years. Yeah, brand brand new in our book. (laughs) Three years, actually. Three years It's brand new. (laughs) But um, we... uh, they had this really interesting experience, which I, as as someone who studies sound and, and such, find fascinating, where there was a, a tone that essentially was like a perfect C that kind of emanated from nowhere that everyone could hear in this very specific room in the house, in the garage, but no one else in the house could hear it. And there were five five witnesses? Uh, well, se- seven, actually, but Chuck was had gone to bed and was awake in the next room with the door open and couldn't hear it. Yes, would you like to explain? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, we were uh, uh, coming off a very interesting evening the, the night before, having witnessed uh, a dramatic uh, UFO sighting uh, in this area, in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. And we, you know, five of us had seen it. We got the whole thing on video. And Mark D'Antonio, whom we've mentioned previously, is uh, MUFON's director of of photo and video analysis for the, the whole country, and he said it's one of the two best he's ever seen. So we had that. But we, the next night, uh, it was about quarter past one in the morning, and we had been uh, roaming around the area, particularly at a little park where the uh, Eastern Continental Divide is commemorated. You know, we, we tend to think there are geotechnical factors involved here, but we were standing saying goodnight to each other, and we had... Uh, 
this is uh, three people, including one of our producers uh, of the show and uh, our research assistant and a couple, couple of other people in, a, in our gang. And the um, over the producer's head appeared this, it didn't appear, but you could hear this this perfect C. And we're all looking at our cell phones, and uh, I remember uh, one of the comments from uh, Alexander Petikoff, the filmmaker, said, gee, Paul, what did you step on? You know. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it started, and, and it, it went out the closed door uh, of the garage, l- led us outside. It proceeded to, uh, to go up into the air. Uh, it was to our right, and then it moved to our left. Then it kind of faded out, powered back up, moved to our left, and then went off into the sky. I mean, what is that? I mean, 50 years of, of researching the paranormal, I've never run into anything like that. And uh, Ben, unfortunately, was uh, was here in Rhode Island in the studio because we were doing a two-hour special the next day, and we had plenty to talk about. So, have you and Ben uh, analyzed the tone, and uh, it's very pure, etc. Uh, Shane Searway, one of our people, has also um, analyzed it as well, and uh, we we have it. Uh, we just recorded it on our phones, and all our equipment was put away for the day. Probably shouldn't have done that. Well, but, uh, I mean, how could you know? It's well, like, I know exactly. It's not like you have a so, reminder um, set up like all. Oh. But I guess <laughs> the, the question is: Have you ever heard of a sky sound like that? A perfect sea. With no source, no visible source, and um, I don't know, just sort of let us out the door, outside. No, no, but I did some research back in 2011. In biblical times, they were talking about uh, the angel trumpets. So apparently, there were sounds in the sky back, you know, hundreds. Well, I guess you know, thousands, a thousand or so years ago. Um, but no, not that. But you know, it makes you wonder. How often have you been someplace and then all of a sudden it just gets kind of eerie and dogs and coyotes and all the animals start, you know, howling and and barking and they yeah. they can hear a higher pitch than we can. It makes you wonder that this whatever whatever it was, I think, um, I don't know, you know, maybe that was something that's around all the time and it, it ended up in the the wrong frequency and you were able to hear it because I think we're being monitored, you know, more than, maybe more than we think, and, you know, by who. Yeah, well, the homeowners were in uh, the the bedroom above the garage with their windows open. They didn't hear it either. So out of, out oh, of wow. um, like, eight people who were listening, only six. Well, it's interesting it. that, like, you know, we, we referenced these sky sounds and whatnot, and you yourself, Debbie, said it sounded like someone hitting something with a hammer. I always think back to our ancestors because they had all these crazy mythological sort of ideas that, you know, the Norse, for example, had the idea of Thor, you know, hammering out, you know, stuff with his hammer. You know, what if they were hearing something like that? You know, this stuff was super real to our ancestors, and they had to have been experiencing something. So maybe the stuff that we're experiencing today that we're kind of looking at and saying, well, we don't really know what this is... Maybe our ancestors had it and sort of experienced similar things and kind of just put it in their own perspective. One of, one of the best reference books is to go back yeah. to the Bible. It's amazing what was reported back then and how it was interpreted. There, well, yeah. There's some pretty incredible things, some pretty incredible stories. We had a preacher in Salem, Missouri, who uh, she came home and saw this ball of burning ball of light over the treetop. She thought it was her neighbor's house on fire. And it ended up that um, it, it wasn't. Then all of a sudden, it just like dissipated in the sky. 
and she said, wow, it was almost like, you know, that there was a burning bush, you know, it described in the Bible, and she even gave, uh, I guess exactly where it was, the psalm or where it was in the Bible, and, you know, this, this was, and she was actually a minister, and she said, wow. Yeah, I'm surprised well, she didn't reference just, Elijah. <laughs> I know. Well, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. Uh, Debbie, t- tell us about uh, your website, where people can find out more, and uh, what's cooking with you. Oh, um, org, or you can go on MissouriMoveFund.com. We have uh, local meetings here, third Wednesday monthly, and um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> third Wednesday monthly, we're, we're actually at, uh, at, at in Webster Groves, and so you can go on org and find out more about me. My, my brother's website, too, if you want to find out a lot more about this, is uh, UFO Nut. Um, and there's a lot of the things that Chuck and I have done together that are on that website. Very good. Okay, thank you so much. Great conversation. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a recording of the tone and refer anybody who wants to listen to it to our May 26th, wow. 2019 show. It was a two-hour special. <clears throat> you can get um, the the whole video, uh, including the UFO video, mm. uh, on uh, <clears throat> here at the WON website, onworldwide.com. And uh, go to ON TV on demand and just have to do some scrolling, but you can find it. Thanks very much, Debbie. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Okay. <clears throat> well, we have the last few minutes here. Uh, as the holidays begin, we've wrapped up our 2019 lecture season. Crazy busy. And we'll see you on the road next season, beginning so far with the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine in April. And you can check out our books. That includes Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard of, and uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores, uh, but for autographed copies, please visit the online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, also at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can find out more about the show uh, you can uh, find references to cases over the years, public appearances, and how to book us. And uh, you can have some recorded shows. Uh, there are about 850 of them, but uh, the site is constantly seemingly under attack. But we do put those out uh, on the podcast, major podcast platform, so you can still get the recorded shows back to 2011. And we're working on uh, getting them loaded back to 2008. So uh, that includes uh, our 11-plus years on the air and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS radio along with these special shows and podcasts. You know, the trick is repetition. They can't, they can't get rid of stuff that no, keeps repeating right. itself. <laughs> yeah. They never can't find out what, what the problem is with that. Exactly. <clears throat> so there are also links to several charities we've adopted on the show over the years, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection, YMC in uh, Los Angeles, California, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. So what do we have next week, Ben? So, next Sunday, uh, November 10th, we'll welcome Father Nathan Castle, a Roman Catholic priest who actually works with mediums and says uh, he frees stuck souls, quote-unquote. I can't wait for that show because I got nailed in the seminary just for studying this stuff. Uh, maybe he How he gets like... away with it. I've talked to him. I like him. He's a real Dominican priest, but I don't get it, so I can't wait for that show. Anyway, we leave you this afternoon with a thought from that old darling Albert Einstein. Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... 
Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. 